This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Touchstone, Hollywood Studios, anything and everything released by Disney. We try to cover it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you'll find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, show notes for this very show, and all sorts of great content dating back to the 1920s shorts of the Disney company. So make sure you go and check all that out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, the man who put the Harley in Harley-Davidson. That's right. Also the David and Davidson. That's true. Very true. Uh, uh, from all over the interwebs, we have Miss Rachel Kolb. How are you, Rachel? Good. We're talking about Daredevil today, right? Oh, or- if only. <laughs> or, the, or the Star Wars trailer. That would be nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, our fine producer, the person who keeps things going around here and keeps us on time, on schedule, and on budget, even though we don't have a budget, is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter, at Cheryl P3. How are you, Cheryl? Okay, and this is Todd's fault. <laughs> that, that is a, a fair <laughs> distinction to make. Is it really my fault, or is it the fault of the people who greenlit this movie? Well, I mean, you're, it's from the director of Buying the Cow, Van Wilder Party Liaison, and the upcoming Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. Yes. It's also from Brad Copeland, who the only thing that he's ever made... Actually, he's made two things of redeemable quality, right? Um, the My name is Earl, and uh, he's got a lot of money invested in Arrested Development, so... Yes. But Great point. Other than that, if you look at Brad Copeland's record, ain't so good either. Yeah. Yogi Bear. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, we are talking about Wild Hogs, which is a, uh, a touchstone release, PG-13 film that came out in 2007. Uh, so we will, for- fair warning here, if you have not seen the movie, if you have kids, this one's probably not kid appropriate. It is a PG-13 film. So uh, if, you, if you're one of those folks, and we appreciate all of you who do it, who follow along with us to watch the movie, see what the thing is when you download it, I'm putting the fair warning here. That this is not one to share necessarily with your children until they are at least 13. Uh, I watched it with my 13-year-old and banished my 8-year-old from the room. So I'd be on the 13. Yes. I would advise (laughs) that you do the same. Uh, There is bad language, adult situations to say the least, uh, and a few things like that of that nature. So if any of those things offend you, you probably don't want to watch the movie. And we give you free permission to skip the podcast if you want. All right. That out of the way. Uh, Todd, this is your fault, as Cheryl said. Yes, it is. I, here's why I picked it, okay, is because I felt that I looked at the movies that were in the particular slot in our planning and surrounding it, and I figured it was actually, despite that it's, you know, the movie that it is, it was a good departure from the movies we were doing both before and after. But, oh, no, at this time, the slot was different. We, 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 I switched around the slots. That's, that, that, that has to, that's an impact here. Well, okay, so then still, it still fits well with the with the before and after, though, in terms really? of the fact that, no, well, not... Okay, let's, wait, let's discuss this really As quick. a departure, as a departure We had just that. watched World's Greatest Athlete, which is yes. a, in which we had the hybrid disguise as a person. Yes. And then we're, <laughs> and the upcoming is the Avengers Age of Ultron. That, that's why it's as a departure. And then we're going to do George of the Jungle 1 and 2. Okay. 
You don't know what you're getting yourself into there either. <laughs> Uh, I think I think we do know, and I think we're upset about it. Well, I can move them later if, if we really insist. I, no, I no, will no. say okay. that I, I enjoy George of the Jungle way more than I enjoy this movie. I was going to say, notice that we're doing our best to talk about anything but wild hogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that you should take away from this, listener. Uh, yeah, so the movie that is is... It stars Tim Allen, John Travolta, Martin Lawrence, and William H. Macy as a group of middle-aged men who feel cooped up and need to get out on the open road on their motorcycles and and be men, I guess. I'm not really sure what exactly they're going to do. I can understand the feeling cooped up and you know, in not having much to do at home sort of a thing and wanting to go out and live life a little bit. I don't understand what exactly they're going to do out on the open road on their motorcycles, but that's well, a whole other thing. On this, on the second watch, I decided to jot down what all of their individual problems, and I say problems in quotes here, what their problems are, because honestly, the first time around, by the time I got to the end, I'd kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Tim Allen, the problem is that his son doesn't respect him. He doesn't really want to spend time with him. And also, he isn't allowed to eat bacon, gravy, or butter. He is not allowed to eat sticks of butter. Oh, this- no, no, he's... He's trying to. They don't really explain it well. He's trying to control his cholesterol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. So he's like his wife is making healthy food for him, and he's just not happy about this. No, he's pretty much only eating broccoli at like both breakfast and dinner that we see him eat. It's broccoli both times. I think. Well, <laughs> pretty much. It's, yeah, it's a uh, grapefruit and yeah, broccoli. <laughs> so it's there. You can be, you can do fine on your cholesterol and not eat like that. So just to say, yes, yes. Although and then, I do have to say, it doesn't depend upon your diet because yeah, <laughs> it's it's true. So yeah, that's that's the basics here, and they run into uh, some issues. It's it's like half road movie and half um, the Magnificent Seven. Yes, <laughs> only not magnificent. It's really, if you look at the formula of it, it's actually the old-fashioned uh, 80s spring break movies. Right? Oh, it's yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, four yeah. guys go yeah. on the trip. It's always four guys in those spring break movies, right? And it's four guys go on a trip, and they do something that gets them into a lot of trouble, and they have to get themselves out of the trouble. That's the formula for the spring break movies. That's what's going on here. Well, it's still the it's still like the, the, the Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven thing, too, right? Where they, they roll into the town and get recruited to be part of the town. I actually compared it to, when I was watching it, to the Three Amigos. A bunch of bumbling yeah. idiots come into the town, and they end up having to defend the town from the gang. <laughs> now I want to watch Three Amigos. It's, it's yeah. a better movie. I'm not going to lie to you. I was going to say, also Bugs Life. Another one that takes that, that plot line and does yep. a better job with it. Correct. Yeah, it's an old, old trope of people coming into the town and trying to save it. But that's the second half of the movie, so we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, this movie made a lot of money. A hand over fist. Yeah, $250 million plus. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Right. And $40 million opening weekend and ranked number one opening weekend. Yeah. Oh, what was it up against? Zodiac. Oh, no. Are you? No. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that makes me angry. That makes me even more angry because I love Zodiac. Zodiac here's, is a here, great movie. Here's the thing. So so neither anyone who actually saw the movie or critics liked the movie. It was but going in, uh, the major <laughs> the major thing that attracted everybody was the star power. Right. Yeah. Right? Because if you think it's two thousand and seven and you think about these four guys in two thousand and seven, they were all riding pretty high back then. Well, well you Travolta have, was wasn't a... Okay, Travolta maybe not, but everybody else certainly was. Yeah. Yeah. Including Academy Award nominee William H. Macy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Travolta was uh, on his downslope, I would say, by this point. Yeah. Uh, she, I'm not sure, has yet recovered from. Uh, and Tim Allen was probably a little bit higher in, in the stratosphere, as noticed by the fact that his name comes first on the poster. We, we don't like to use the word high in conjunction with Tim Allen. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, you 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 compared this to these spring break movies, and we were talking about this shortly before we started recording. Like, and we mentioned it in the warning. Like, this is a movie that is like, it's very vulgar. It's probably the best way to put it. Like, there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of gay jokes. There's a lot of drug references. There's a lot of cursing. Uh, no, I want to fast forward now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cursing, things like that. Like all of which is normal-ish for a Touchstone film, right? That's not a Walt Disney Pictures film, mm-hmm. but it's. I think part of what what threw me off when watching it was sort of what Cheryl was talking about. Like we've watched world's greatest athlete and we watch Disney films, you know, at least one a week, probably two or three, depending on what we're doing in the show. So this was an unexpected turn. (laughs) Well, okay. This is my question. Who is the audience for this movie? Families, of course. I think that I think I would think now the audience of the movie is the people like watching Hot Tub Time Machine. But I think it's a little more family I, friendly than that. Not much, <laughs> but a little. <laughs> like Hot Tub Time Machine is much funnier, like and much like smarter in its humor. The humor in this is so juvenile. Yeah, that, it's, it's face humor. Yeah. Like, like it's really strange because there's these actors that you know the four of them together would appear like would appeal more to I think a little bit older generation, like maybe like you know my parents or you know that generation. But at the same time, the humor is so stupid and juvenile that I don't see it actually appealing that much to them. So my like, answer to your question would be, it would be 18 to 49-year-old males. Maybe? No, I mean, because it's because of what you're saying, uh, and I say this as a male, men are uh, both juvenile and pigs. And this would, <laughs> this would uh, appeal to many of them. Yeah, but it's it's also strange then that they go with a little bit like older, like as far as the guys that they're picking for this movie, that they go with Tim Allen, Martin Lawrence, John Travolta, and William H. Macy instead of going for like younger comedians. Like, yeah, I but mean, I think I think the idea was like you trading a little bit off the Disney name, right, and to have it be a uh, dads and their teenage sons type of a thing, or, you know, tween sons, if you want to extend it too far, I wouldn't take a tween to this, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's what they were trading off of, and exactly what Todd's talking about with, like, those spring break comedies, like, those were, back in the day, quote-unquote family movies. Like, for example, there's no more cursing in this than there is in Back to the Future. That's true. Right? It's just some of the adult situations in this are probably a little more so than they would be in that film. But like, if you think back to the films of the eighties, like they were, that were in this sort of ballpark, um, you know, it's, it's very similar in terms of language. I mean, Oh, a Ghostbusters yeah. is another example, right? Yeah. I guess like the difference for me between something like Ghostbusters or back to the future in this is like the spirit of it just feels a lot more mean. Like, especially, like, a lot of the the swearing is really gendered swearing. Like, there's, like, in particular, one word that they like to use that is very much a female-centered swear word. Right. <laughs> and gets used in many different contexts and in many different ways throughout the film. I think it's the quality of calling someone a female dog, right? We can say that one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, they use that word... A lot in this movie and it the general feel of something like back to the future or ghostbusters is much more light-hearted and you know it doesn't it doesn't have as much of that sort of sexist overtone to it which this definitely has oh yeah no i completely agree with you by the way i, I think it's a very great difference in tone and i wasn't saying that this movie is anywhere near the yeah. quality of those i just it, it struck me watching it as far as the the amount of cursing and some of those things that are in it, and then as I, as I look back, it's like, oh well, you know, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, the comedies that I grew up with that are that I think this is intended to be in that vein had those things in it. Uh, it's just yeah. like you say in this, the direction and the usage and the way that they've attacked it uh, comes at it. Sometimes I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it misogynistic, right? Because it's not supposed. To, I don't think they're trying to be demeaning. I think they're just insensitive is probably the better way to put it. Well, I I will say, like, as far as the Martin Lawrence storyline in particular really struck me as being kind of misogynistic because the character of Martin Lawrence, he's working on this book and his wife is supporting the family. Um, But he keeps talking, like, I mean, all of them keep talking about how they need to break free from things and about how, you know, they're not free to do what they want. And I'm like, she's supporting you and you're working on a book it seems it seems like you're pretty free to 
you know, that you're pursuing what you want to do. Come on, Rachel. Is she really supporting him? (laughs) Well, she's at least supported him for some time. We don't know how long he's been working on this book. Yeah, it's been a year. It's a year. Yeah. Yeah. That was my point that she only she was only sewing for so long because she 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 was was requiring him to go back. Right. Yeah, it's it's it's. I understand the I think the problem is is that what I think you're seeing as misogyny and things like that, Rachel, I think it's bad bad writing. You know what I mean? Like I don't think mm-hmm. the intent is there. I think it's just bad writing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Cause I think what the the idea was is like they wanted to use the henpecked husband as an archetype and they and this is how they came about it, which was a bad way to come about it. You know what I mean? Like they're trying let's be honest, every single one of these characters is basically in some way, shape, or form, a, a stereotype or an archetype or something like that, right? And yep. they're not really fully formed. We just get these little vignettes at the very beginning. I mean, you've got the henpecked husband. You've got the you know the rich guy who thinks he has it all but doesn't have anything. You've got the, the middle-aged man who has his midlife crisis, and you've got the nerd who can't talk to girls. I mean, like, I just gave you as much character development as is in the movie of the four main characters. <laughs> yeah that was my note on William H. Macy uh, I guess he's bad with the ladies yeah <laughs> and that's not to say that like they're not like I don't think you expect great character depth from a slapsticky sort of comedy but that's all you get and then you're relying on that to carry forward some kind of strange relationships and things that we'll talk about when we get through the through the movie so I think the intent was not there, but it comes off that way because it's just not executed well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The ex- that, I think that character in particular is executed very poorly. Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, the, the movie <laughs> made a lot of money uh, and therefore was was a big hit and had some... Uh, uh, I, I will say I did appreciate some things here and there that we'll talk about, but, but on the whole, it's a little bit... Off-putting, I guess, is, is the way to put it. It's just it, it tries to be a bunch of different things when it's really just a straight-up comedy, right? They try for a little bit of depth here and there, and that's probably not what they needed to do. Yes, yes. I definitely agree. They did try for depth, and they shouldn't have tried for that. Although, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a movie where William H Macy poops in a plastic bag. They after that happens, there's by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly think like the way they dressed him and the how he his mannerisms I think he was trying to do Ed Begley Jr. the whole time. If you ever watched that show, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's who he's trying to do. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a better explanation for it than that. You know what I found interesting was that Madrid, New Mexico, was a real place or Madrid, right? Because they said it's not Madrid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's a whole there's a couple places online where people actually like like recorded you know what went on during the filming there and everything like that. That had to be a big event in in Madrid. I, yeah, in their history, I guess it was. I don't know. And oh, and Maggie's Diner was was the only building that was built for the movie. Everything else was already there. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I always like it when people shoot on location instead of. On yeah, set. yeah. They shot it on location. Uh, the whole movie is actually shot in New Mexico. Um, and, uh, except for the end, I went there on the Pacific Coast Highway, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not much else there. Um, now, the interesting thing, the only interesting piece of, uh, news out of the movie is that, uh, the Hells Angels did, in fact, sue Disney over the movie. For portraying them in an ill light? No, because they, the, the, the Del Fuegos were originally going to be the Hells Angels, so it was just to for the use of their trademark, and they, that's why they became called the Del Fuegos. Ah, uh, I see. So, because they were originally Hells Angels. In fact, all the original merchandise for the movie, you know, like all the original promotions for the movie, all had them listed as being Hells Angels and everything like that. Gotcha. So, I, I wanted to say for hobbyists, there is a list of what their motorcycles were. So I figured we would just kind of go over those. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the the one that Dudley rode was an XL 1200C Sportster that was custom, right? Because it had the custom 
frame front if you look at it. The back looked like a regular Sportster, but the front looked a little different. Uh, the FXTS Springer Softail was from was Bobby's bike. Okay, a Bobby's bike is really hard to t- get a good look at in the movie. I think it's the only one they can never get a good shot on. That's my opinion, so it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug's is a black fat boy, which was uh, had custom modifications that Tim Allen insisted on for his bike. Okay, and the, there was a screaming eagle fat boy that Woody had. So they both had fat boys, but they had slightly different types. So. There you go. Yes. I don't know what any of those words you just said means. Yeah, they're just different types (laughs) of bikes. The the point is they're all Harley-Davidson's. Harley-Davidson was a big supporter of the movie. And, you know, they were – that's why they're, you know, all over the place. There's patches and everything all over the movie. They were actually in a Harley-Davidson bar, right, in the 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 very beginning of the movie. Yes, because the guy – I actually recognized the guy um, from the – he's from a reality TV show. With um, that does stuff with motorcycles, and they actually the get, like, Orange County Choppers. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They're actually there's a whole big thing because they actually are the ones who supplied most of the bikes that the Del Fuegos are riding. Because like nearly every bike the Del Fuego ride is, rides are some kind of customized chopper in the movie, and they're all done by Orange County. There you go. So, uh, and also the opening scene. Where they're where they're riding and they're meeting up in that very first opening scene where nothing yes. happens, right? Uh, the Motorcycle Riders Association their their classes on motorcycle safety were adjusted to include that scene as a showing of everything not to do when you ride a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that when I was watching the very opening. I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem right. Oh, that doesn't look good. Yeah, because what you're talking about is the very opening scene. It's like each of the four guys comes out in their motorcycle one at a time, uh, and pulls up next to another and gives each other a fist bump. Uh, and then eventually Dudley, who, William H. Macy's character is the last one. He comes up and the fist bump causes him to basically crash his motorcycle. Um, and yeah, I'm watching that going, and none of them are wearing helmets, by the way. And I'm except, watching this. Except for Macy. Macy yeah, is the only a, one that wears a helmet. That's right. And I'm going, that that's bad. Like I have a kid that rides a, just a pedal bicycle and i wouldn't want them to do these things so i'm glad i was glad to read that when i when i read that uh, that you just noted about the motorcycle riders association i'm like oh okay so it wasn't just me then yeah but that's the that's the introduction to the four main characters uh and and this gag of dudley crashing his motorcycle is repeated over and over and over again uh throughout the movie six times in the movie i think yeah that a little much (laughs) i'm just gonna say well, much <laughs> all the way to the very end in fact yeah exactly and so we get introduced to each of the guys by name so they get a little fraser-esque title card right with their name uh so doug's the first one doug is tim allen's character uh he is a dentist uh and he tries to he he has no excitement in his life basically like i said earlier he's having a midlife crisis that's basically his big deal is that, you know, oh, well, he's a dentist. He hasn't left Cleveland in years. This retired couple has more fun than him. His son doesn't want to talk to him. His son wants to go play basketball with a neighbor. You know, nothing. Basically, he has nothing except for the fact that he has this motorcycle. Uh, so that, that that's Doug that we get introduced to. Uh, Bobby is, the, the, uh, is Martin Lawrence's character. Uh, he's the one that we talked about earlier is the henpecked plumber uh, or former plumber as the movie opens. He apparently is writing a book, a how-to book on what we don't really know. Yep, but how, how to nothing. Yeah, how to apparently be henpecked by your wife. I don't know. Like, there's not much there in this opening scene. Because um, basically his wife just yells at him and says, well, you're not supporting your family because you're writing a book. And um, it's been a year, so now you have to go back to work. Uh, at the firm, and of course they give you the thought that this is actually a legal firm, when in fact it's a plumbing place. And so this is where I got the idea that this was going to be a little bit of a different tone for a movie, is when Martin Lawrence goes into the gas station to fix the toilet that's broken, (laughs) and the guy behind the counter starts making jokes about how bad it is in there. I mean, they're not jokes, but they're funny to the audience. And it's like, he doesn't stop. He makes like six jokes about how bad the poop is. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay. 
And, and, and then from that point forward, I'm like, oh, okay, I get where we're going here. I get what this is supposed to be. But it was like, like I said, I, I think part of it is like we watched so many Disney, straight up Walt Disney Productions movies that I started watching this thinking, oh, this is going to be like that, like a like college road trip. You know what I mean? Uh, and this is not that. The far Cry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have uh, Dudley, who is the uh, William H. Macy character. He is a computer programmer. Who <laughs> we get introduced to him because he's sitting in a coffee shop with his computer, uh, which is voice activated, apparently. And he, Dudley is apparently blind because the words that come up on the screen when the computer talks back to him are... Uh, Big, they fill up the entire screen. (laughs) (laughs) It was terrible and just terrible. It was, I mean, it was stereotypical at the time, right? It's, you know, the developer who sits in Starbucks programming away to make lots of money, right? Right. Uh, Which he does, and then he gives an accidental voice command to the, uh, to the thing, and it looks up all sorts of um, alternative sexual things. And then our final person that we get introduced to is Woody, uh, who's John Travolta's character. He's a lawyer. He's married to a supermodel. So you figure he's the one that's got it together. But it turns out that the supermodel is ditching him. We never actually see her except in pictures behind him as he's walking through his house. Um, and he's arguing with someone on the phone after – well, first of all, he's in his, his lawyer's office. And it turns out that he is broke. He has no money, zero money. Um, and then we see him in his house arguing with someone on the phone. Uh, and it turns out it's the kid in the backyard that he had hired to rake his leaves. And they're arguing over the $10 per yard. And he has a massive yard. Also, if you ever saw the trailer for the film, that's, that scene is the opening. When he, the, he sticks his head outside and yells, yells back and forth with the kid, that's the opening for the trailer. For the well, movie. that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. So the, we get introduced to these four guys, and then they have this ride where they get in their motorcycles, they pull into this Harley-Davidson bar, uh, and they're all talking about, you know, they're sitting there drinking beers after work, which I have to say, as a married man of not quite their age, but pretty close, who has children and such, I don't get to go away to a bar in the afternoon before dinner. So I'm just saying, maybe they're not as trapped as they think they are. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is also the scene where we f- get the first of sort of the weird gay panic with uh, Travolta and Macy, because Macy once again crashes his motorcycle and has to ride on the back of Travolta's. Yeah, and and Travolta yes. is very upset because he's like, "Don't you dare rest your head, you know, on my shoulder again," and yeah. I could like hear you smelling me it was it's such a weird exchange yeah it's let's be honest like the movie's homophobic in a big way yeah and it's kind of crazy to think that this movie only came out like eight years ago yeah a lot has changed in that time frame i will say but but yeah i mean like it's I, you, you were talking about the uh, sort of misogyny. I was actually more concerned with that. It was, it was, it's yeah. very homophobic. I mean, that's that's one that you could, I could probably let slide if not for the uh, the policeman incidents that come up later, which are unfortunate. The park ranger, yeah. Yeah, they're just wrong, and we'll talk about them when we get there. Uh, but yeah, so they sit in this bar. Uh, this is where the, the cameo from the guys from Orange County Choppers comes up. They're wearing their Wild Hogs jackets that uh, uh, Tim Allen's wife had made for them, and Woody comes up with this idea that they want to do this cross-country road trip. They're going to drive from Cincinnati, where they are, uh, to go to the West Coast and back uh, on, their, on their bikes. And uh, at first, William H. Macy is the only one who wants to go along with it, uh, but once the other two get home, uh, they they manage to go uh, and, and agree to it. Tim Allen is probably the best because it's like the only moment I felt like where Tim Allen could be Tim Allen in the movie was when he goes home after this and he's eating dinner. Uh, and like we talked about, he is, you know, he can't get his cholesterol up. Uh, and while his family's eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy, uh, he's eating, you know, like a salad and... He just loses his mind and starts eating, like eating the meatloaf with his bare hands and taking a <laughs> giant spoon of potatoes and drinking the gravy and taking a bite out of a stick of butter. Like that was the most Tim Allen moment of the whole movie. True. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that part of very, it I was actually laughing at. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very home improvement, which was you know probably the most successful part of Tim Allen's career. Oh, completely. Unless you count the Santa Claus, which I do. Yes. Yes. It's probably Santa Claus home improvement, and then that's Buzz Lightyear. It. Yeah, that's true. Buzz Lightyear. Uh, and that, so what happens is he has a panic attack. Basically, we don't find that out until he goes to the hospital. But uh, it turns out he has some sort of a panic attack, and that convinces him and his wife that he's okay to go on this trip uh, because he had this attack, and so uh, you know he obviously needs to de-stress and, and go on this trip. And so the four guys meet up the next morning, and it's uh, Martin Lawrence's character, Bobby, says, you know, don't, don't tell my wife what's going on. I told her I was in a, cl- a plumbing convention in Cleveland. Uh, and so they all throw their cell phones away piece by piece. They don't really intend to. It's just that Woody gets upset because um, Doug has a, a GPS in his cell phone, the Tim Allen character. And he doesn't want a GPS. He wants the open road to be their guide. And so he throws his away. And then, of course, in retaliation, he makes Woody throw his away. And then I think Dudley throws his away. And so there they are without cell phones, uh, which is not a bright thing to do. <laughs> now you got to remember well, this they is. They didn't always have to find my era. friends, though. They didn't have to worry about finding my friends. No, that's what I was about to say. This is the pre iPhone era. So. This would be uh, before iPhones existed, really. So how smart could their phones have been? Actually, it's the year iPhones came out. Well, I'm assuming when they filmed it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, they have, like, flip phones. Right. Except Doug, who has the fancy GPS phone or whatever it is. But anyway, so off they go onto the open road, uh, this big grouping and they drive we get we get the first of several riding motorcycles montages yes <laughs> which there are many as you would expect in a movie about every the 10 minutes yeah uh they go camp out the first night and they've got a campsite set up and uh bobby is trying to inflate his air mattress with a straw <laughs> near as one can tell <laughs> yeah this is best i can tell uh, and unfortunately, Dudley burns the tent down. Actually, it's um, Doug who burns the tent down. Is it? He sets it on fire with the marshmallow, and then Dudley... Okay, well, yeah, Dudley throws gasoline on the burning fire. Yeah, but yeah. remember, he does point out that somebody mislabeled it. No, I thought he just grabbed the wrong one. No, no, he said, it wasn't, he said it's mislabeled or something like that. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they lose the whole tent. Yeah, they lose the whole tent, and so they have to sleep outside uh, on the air mattress, like three of them on the air mattress, and uh, Bobby on the ground. Uh, And this is the first of two very unfortunate encounters with a highway patrolman who comes up to them in a ridiculously tight uniform. (laughs) Yep. Which is just wrong. It's it's a bit overkill for what they're doing. But like you said, it's what the, there are a lot of homophobic-oriented uh, jokes. So Yeah, and so he comes up to them, and like I, I can't repeat the things that they're saying to each other, the innuendos that they're making. Suffice to say, they are that they have been sleeping out in the open all night, um, and that they are all of the gay persuasion, and that's the nicest I can put that. I think that's an adequate... Yeah, uh, yeah, and this highway patrolman comes upon them and makes advances towards them, shall we say? Um, and it it's, it's it made me very uncomfortable. May I add that this that there was nothing with where? Okay, this is one of my events to having, <laughs> even having him. Why do you need to be there? I mean, he didn't he didn't have to say anything. There was nothing wrong with what they were. Because everyone was clothed. Right. And it was, yes, they were on the open, but it's not like there was nefarious things going on. I'll it, use that it word. Does, in both scenes where he shows up, you nailed it exactly right. There's no reason for his character to be in the movie. Right. Yeah, Other than well, somebody wanted to make these jokes. This is, this is what I was waiting for at the end, because um, 
near the end, Stephen Toblowski as the sheriff says that he's called in, I think, I think it's the highway patrol or he's called in someone else to, um, like in the midst of the big confrontation. And I was waiting for John C. McGinley to be leading the, you know, the highway patrol showing up to save the day at the end, but (laughs) he doesn't. Yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, there's no purpose for this in the movie. Like That's what I mean, though, in that it feels like the movie is two separate films, right? So there's this beginning part where we establish who the guys are, and then they get started on the road. And then there's the part once they settle down into a town um, that are two separate things because it's almost – there's there's very little thread to connect the two pieces. Not um, even. Yeah. And so they, they end up hitting the road. Uh, they keep driving. And they come to a break where they want to stop, uh, and there's a pool of water where they're going to refresh themselves. <laughs> um, and and we get to see way more of William H. Macy than I ever wanted to see in my life. <laughs> uh, his, his backside is on display a couple of occasions here as, the, as he, he dives in the pool uh, without any swimming trunks or anything else on, convinces the rest of them to do the same. No, he convinces the rest of them to take him off when they're already in. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To also I, be naked in the pool. How about that? Yes. Yeah. And William H. Macy doesn't really have a problem with nudity, from with, what I can tell from his no. other like independent films, especially. No, but I have a problem with his nudity. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <That's> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're, th- these guys are all in this like little clearing with this little rock rocks in a pool. Uh, when this family pulls up in a minivan <laughs> and just comes uh, like, "Hey, this is like a great place to stop. We've been cooped up in the minivan. Here we come. We're diving in the pool." Uh, and it's not a pool. It's like a little pond, basically, uh, and, until the dad figures out what's going on, and, and we get more homophobic jokes from them, and then we get the highway patrolman shows up, naked as can be, and jumps in there with them, uh, again, with more homophobia jokes. Um, yeah. let's it, it's add, just not funny. Let's add um, – one thing I want to add is they did warn the family as That's much as true. they could. Yeah. As much as they could without saying that there were – Unclothed people, I guess I'll use that word. In, yeah. in the in the pond, they warned that family that they should move along. And had I been that family, it would have been okay. You're asking me to move along. I'm moving right along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This family is incredibly friendly to complete strangers. Like they're like offering them potato salad. <laughs> That's I would I, I would not be this friendly with just a random group of guys that I'd run into along the side of the road. I agree with you. I don't know that I would be that friendly with these guys. Uh, they, they look a little strange, and I'm a little concerned about it. But my bigger problem is that this kind of humor where we're poking fun at – where we're putting people in uncomfortable situations for humor as opposed to where we're laughing at them or we're, like, making fun of another group or whatever like i don't i don't know the best way to put it but like like this i did not i don't enjoy this kind of humor um it's sort of the same as the as as many other many like like ben stiller comedies i don't really like those because he does he does a very similar kind of humor you know what i mean where it's like we're laughing at him because he's being put in a situation that would be very bad for a human being to be in as opposed to you know, like physical comedy or something like that, if that makes sense. I think it depends yeah. on the Ben Stiller movie. I think like, I mean, because the- I would say, like, we saw Saving, Saving, like, like, one of the only Ben Stiller movies I've seen is, like, Saving Walter Mitty. And that one is, like, totally not on the Ben Stiller track. Yeah, yeah. Secret, Secret Life of Walter <laughs> Mitty is great. But I think that what you're talking about, Ryan, is more like Meet the Parents. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, something like that. I mean, and that's kind of what we're doing here. Only we have the added fun of of, of making fun of, of of gay people, which I don't really appreciate. Um, but then we we start getting into what I guess would be the quote unquote main plot of the film after they leave here, uh, because they pull into a roadside quote unquote biker bar, uh, and they go into the bar. Uh, to try to get a drink, and they meet the Del Fuego gang, which uh, Ray Liotta is the leader of, who I did not recognize. 
Did any of you guys recognize him right away? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I thought he was somebody younger because he he's a he's not a young man. No, but I was I was really excited to see uh, Kevin Duran and MC uh, Ganey from Lost. Oh yeah, as as other uh, Del Fuegos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so they get into a bit of trouble with these guys because uh, they they. Basically, because as as Ray Liotta's character says, like you guys are posers. You're not real bikers. You're just you know suburban guys who who ride your bikes for fun. And like you don't the, the code of the biker doesn't mean anything to you if such a thing actually exists. You know all that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> is code of the biker like code of the West? Uh, is, yes. <laughs> I, I I would suggest based on the ending of the movie, it's more like the pirates' code in that it's more guidelines than anything else. <laughs> uh, and so they get into this this deal where uh, they sort of trick Dudley into saying that he will trade his bike for one of theirs. Uh, and so they keep Dudley's bike and give him a sidecar, uh, this rusty sidecar. They get a little bit down the road, not not very far at all. Uh, and Woody says, "No, let's let's go back and get Dudley's bike back." And they're like, "No, it's not worth it. There's a you know, there's fifty of those guys. They'll kill us, and uh, it's just not worth it. Let's just go home, you know, because they're all demoralized." Woody goes back and walks back by himself while the other guys wait. Uh, he goes and cuts the fuel lines on all of their bikes, and then gets Dudley's bike and heads on back, and. He tells the guys that he worked it out with them by saying, you know, well, we'll sue you if you don't give the bike back. Um, that is not what he did, as, <laughs> as just described. And the fact that this remains a secret for the majority of the rest of the movie uh, annoyed the snot out of me. <laughs> it takes them a long time to get to the resolution point. Yeah. Uh, but what ends up happening is when they see the guys walking or driving by the Wild Hogs gang here, uh, the Del Fuegos come out to try and go after them, and Ray Liotta drops his cigarette on all the fuel that has been dropped, uh, and it blows up the bar. So Woody, <laughs> in a really great first... mushroom cloud, actually. Yeah, I I don't think there was enough bar there to make that big of a mushroom cloud. Well, there was a there was a gas pumps there too, which is what I imagine really blew up. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but it, um, Woody, of course, is very upset at this point, uh, and he catches up with everybody they stopped at a gas station and he tells them they have to keep going uh because he knows the del fuegos will be on their trail although i don't know where they're going to get gas because basically that gas station had to have been what 10 15 miles away uh and then they don't see the sign that says you know uh next gas 200 miles yeah both so, u-haul is blocking that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl's tying all the movies together in the Disney Cinematic Universe. <laughs> it does kind of look like the gas station there. So, yeah. It does. Uh, yeah, so they run out of gas and they have to push their, their cars, or their, their motorcycles rather, uh, until they land in the town of Madrid. Um, so that's the thing. Like this, Up until this point in the movie, it's like this big road picture right? <laughs> with these gags that are not very funny. And yeah. then... And a number of stereotypical things like like when they walk into the bar, the bar, it's that same stereotypical bar moment where everyone gets really quiet and then starts talking again, right? Yeah. It's that moment, and then when they're walking through the desert, the typical overly sweaty, overly parched thing and discussion where everyone wants to kill each other, which is all just you know. Which at this point, I kind of wanted them to kill each other. I thought that would make a nice turn in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would have. I mean, like it would have been a dark turn, but I think a bold one. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, when they finally get into the town of Madrid, they they like rampage into this diner and start like drinking beer and taking water out of the little you know the little thing that bartenders use to squirt water or coke or whatever. They like shoot water in each other's mouth. Now that did make me laugh. That was funny. Uh, and and the townspeople at first think they are part of the Del Fuego gang. Uh, but once they explain it to them that they are not and they're just in town, uh, the town people, you know, back off and, and Rachel's favorite, Stephen Tobolowsky, the sheriff, yes. you know, explains what's going on. 
Yes, and also uh, Tim Allen drinks an entire pitcher of beer, which is the worst possible thing to drink after being dehydrated out in the desert. Agreed. Although an entire also, pitcher of beer does sound good. <laughs> yes, it does sound good, but probably not the best thing to actually drink. And Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei shows up and does her best. Yeah, well... Let's let's not get too hasty with the Academy Award winner. She did win an Academy Award, <laughs> but, but let's you know, for my cousin Vinny. Let's be clear. Yes. Um, there's there that one's been debated for many many moons. Yes. Yeah. So she shows up uh, as the owner of the diner, uh, Maggie, and they are you know Woody is sitting here going, let's get something to eat and then let's get out of here because the sheriff tells them that the Del Fuegos have terrorized the town for many years. Uh, and Woody, of course, still wanting to hide from the Del Fuegos because, he, again, he blew up their bar. <laughs> you know, wants to wants to get out of town. The other guys are like, no, let's stay. They're having the chili festival. We'll have some chili. We'll have some fun. You know, the open road has brought us here. The plot of the movie can't continue unless we stay here. So let's let's just stay here, you know. Dudley falls in love. Yeah, and Dudley uh, gets gets the hots for Marissa Tomei. Who, again, I did not recognize until it took me a second to go, wait, I know that person somewhere. But uh, I did recognize her eventually. I think at this point I was, I was numbed by the previous uh, jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they're slapping the ball. There, there's that. There, there's a bunch of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's Kyle Gass from Tenacious D showing up to sing inappropriate pop songs at the Chili Festival. <laughs> And we also surprisingly get the first nut shot of the film, which the the fact that it took them this long shows a little bit of restraint. Go ahead. Describe it. Um, well, the funny thing is that actually in the trailers, the way that they cut it together, it, it seems like this is something that's happening before they go on the road trip. But um, but they're at the festival, and he's doing one of those games where they have the pins set up, and you have to throw the ball and try to hit them over. And, of course, it ricochets off and hits Doug in the crotch. Yeah. Yeah, this is at, at the Chili Festival, which is like just a town festival type of a thing, you know, with the carnival games and carnival rides and at, at the aforementioned Kyle Gass singing very, very inappropriate songs. <laughs> I mean, they're they're good pop songs. They're just like not appropriate for a family are, festival, right? Are they good pop songs? Because one, oh, one of on. them is is Doncha, which right? is Doncha <laughs> is yeah. It, it, it's all karaoke too. That's like the best part, <laughs> right? He's just got like the karaoke machine behind him going the whole yes. time. There's no actual band. Yeah. Well, this this is very much um, like these types of. Comedies will have that moment where they have to insert whatever the like hit novelty song of the time is, whether that be like "Who Let the Dogs Out" or "Doncha" or "Milkshake." Um, right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of that the spot in the movie. Yeah, uh, and this it, it reminded me actually a lot of this this point in the movie reminded me a lot of the Muppet movie. <laughs> when they're at the carnival like kind of. yeah i'm telling you and then kermit falls in love with miss piggy i mean william h macy kind of looks a little bit like like kermit marissa tomei does not look anything like miss piggy i will say that right now <laughs> i'm just saying that's what i thought of when i saw this part of the movie because i was trying to think of anything but the movie no, I'm not. I, that's not true. I, I was. I, I will say, as much as we're kind of bagging on certain things in the movie, I was entertained throughout the whole thing, which is more than I can say for some of the other films that we've rated recently. It's not. It's not terrible once they get to the town and kind of hang out. It's yeah. It's, it's pretty two standard fare. Let's let's. You could easily. Yes. Like this was on Spike TV. I almost hit record. Like it was only like ten minutes done. So, ten minutes in, so I was like, I almost hit record. I'm like, oh, we could get rid of ten minutes. But it definitely would be, um, you know. It, it literally, they, you they could have skipped everything between leaving their home and getting to the biker bar. The biker bar could have been their first stop and then here, and it would have been the same movie. Correct. And then we would have lost the, the, uh, the unfortunate homophobic jokes. Yes. Yeah. That would have been nice. I would have appreciated that. 
Yeah. So, you know, Woody's falling in love. They're they're celebrating because what happens at the the carnival is two of the Del Fuego show up because uh, Jack Ray Liotta's character sent all them out scouting to find where they are. Uh, they find the the biker the wild hogs and Jack says, "Well, you can't hurt them until I get there, and then we're going to all crush them together." Uh, and so these two guys are there. Martin Lawrence goes up to them and and basically squirts ketchup and mustard at them because while he's trash got, Because Martin Lawrence still doesn't know the truth. Let's add that in. Yes, he doesn't. That is correct. And so, but you would think. See, this is the part that doesn't make sense. You're exactly right, Cheryl. And he, he doesn't know the truth. He thinks they have worked this out reasonably. Right? I will sue you. You know, give me the bike back. Let's let bygones be bygones. And they think that's how this has been worked out. So instead of just going up to the guys and saying, hey, guys, no hard feelings. Let me grab you a drink. Anything like that. Instead, because these guys are misbehaving. Instead, he says, he goes up to them, tells them to quit doing what they're doing, and sprays ketchup and mustard all over them while trash-talking them. Yep. That makes no sense. He's still a bit bitter. I agree. I'm just saying, in terms of what the character knows, in terms of what's going on in the in the movie, it makes no logical plot sense. And I see no yep. one disagrees with me. <laughs> no, no, I definitely don't. Yeah, I like that. All I can think is he was bitter. He was still bitter about the way they were treated back at the bar. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. funny. Like it, it's kind of funny. Like for the first five minutes of the twenty-minute sequence, <laughs> but but it, it it doesn't make much sense. Uh, yeah, and so I also th- have to question, question why why is this part so long and the final confrontation between all of them really feels very short. Like it, it feels really rushed. Well, yeah, it is very rushed. Did we talk about John Travolta teaching William H Macy how to dance? No, we didn't. Unfortunately, <laughs> and not staying alive either. Nope. No, which would have been better. <laughs> that would have been better. It's a good idea on your part, Cheryl. I think Cheryl should have given notes on this script. <laughs> yeah, because they just kind of do a little bit of swing dancing, I think. Yeah. Because William H. Macy goes and dances with Marissa Tomei, uh, and not well, I might add, uh, since he's still falling in love with her. And so the next morning, they're getting ready to leave, and he like doesn't want to leave. He wants to hang out with Maggie some more. Uh, and Woody's got them finally convinced to leave when the Del Fuegos come to town, uh, driving right down the middle of the street. Woody asks them to hide, and this is when he finally, as the Del Fuegos are calling them out and saying, hey, come out here or we're going to destroy the diner, uh, Woody finally reveals, oh, well, I kind of blew up their bar, and then Martin Lawrence goes, oh, so the ketchup and mustard thing didn't help, and it's like, no, you idiot, of course it didn't help. It wouldn't have helped no matter what he had done. Like, that's the part that I'm like, yeah, you think they might have come after you just for that, let alone blowing up the bar. <laughs> Martin Lawrence's character is not bright in this movie, is what I'm saying. No. Not at all. Nope. Uh, and so all the guys are, like, really upset with Woody. They don't know what to do. They go hide out in Maggie's house across the street, and they're watching them tear up the diner, and uh, they won't even let Woody come with them. And, you know, it's just... It's... This part actually feels long, where they're just hiding out and waiting. Yeah. Because, like, it it has to be a good five, ten minutes after the Del Fuego show up before they actually move forward with the story in that, like, Dudley, William H. Macy, gets, like, all inspired by Marissa Tomei uh, and goes out to confront them or goes into the diner to confront them. Uh, and he lasts about two seconds when he drops his tire iron because he gets to sw- he reaches up to swing the tire iron he'd brought with him and he lets it go through the plate glass window. Yeah. <laughs> Which quick production note: um, not the main front door window, but one of the other windows gets uh, smashed when the gang is breaking in. But um, continuity thing: it keeps not being smashed and then smashed and then not being smashed. Depending. I, I actually on the noticed that. <laughs> I don't normally notice that stuff, but I did notice that when I was watching this because like I'm like, wait, theater that constantly gets repaired after every ep- every, every every show, right? It's like yeah, what? except for the fact that the Muppets <laughs> actually have time in between shows to repair the theater. This is one. This is like like during the big fight scene that comes up later. Uh, well, not much later, but you know, right after this, uh, it's like there's one punch and then the windows 
fine. And then he lean, you know, falls over, gets back up. Oh, windows broken, falls down, gets back up. Oh, windows fixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, they get Dudley. They hang him up uh, in the middle of the town by duct tape. Uh, and so finally the wild hogs decide they're going to go stand up for themselves. And their big plan is that they're going to drive right down the middle of the street. Um, Tim Allen's going to jump up and grab Dudley. The tape is going to break, and they're going to run off and run away. It I almost think works. that's the plan. I don't know. Well, we don't know for sure. Like, are they going to run away and just let the town let them destroy Madrid? Because that seems like what they're going to do. I think they were going to regroup after they got Dudley. Okay. Um, yeah, it all, you're right. It almost works in that he does jump up. He does get Dudley. Uh, but the tape does not break, at least not until there's enough time for all the Del Fuegos to get around them. Uh, and, and then Dudley's tape breaks and they both fall on the ground. Uh, and the big final confrontation is these four, at least 45 year old, probably 50 plus year old men, uh, decide they're going to fight a biker gang. Isn't that what you do? Well, if they're going to die, they're going to go in a fire, right? (laughs) It's just... I'm watching that going, like... What I felt like it was, to be honest with you, was that the the writers wrote themselves into a corner of, like, okay, we're going to have these guys come in, and they couldn't figure out a clever way for them to run these guys out of town that would make logical sense. So they're like, we're just going to have them fight. Right, because either you fight or you you mousetrap them. I mean, one or the other, right? And yeah. And again, they introduce the bull, but they don't use the bull. They could right. have used the bull. They could have had the bull run down the center of the Del Fuegos, right? Yeah. Exactly. Or, or something, right? Like, just something that would have been somewhat of an explanation as to how these men were able to knock them around. Because, like, basically what happens is the four guys get knocked around for about five minutes, and then Peter Fonda shows up. And yes, it makes as much sense as what you just heard. <laughs> I, well, Peter Fonda shows up, but it's it's a biker movie, and you know, obviously they're easy making rider. A, easy rider reference, right, to Wyatt. Yeah. But um, the 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 funny thing is, if you pay close attention, he's actually Jack's dad. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, he shows up and he says he's a founder of the Del Fuegos, and he says, you know, look, these four guys held off this entire gang and you know they're the ones who are sticking up for the town and enjoying the open road and you guys are causing all the issues and yada 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 uh and he talks them down and tells them to go away because he is jack's dad um and while i thought it was cool that peter fonda showed up sort of as his easy rider character basically uh i thought well like the whole thing just doesn't make any sense the whole biker i was gonna say was it cool (laughs) I just well, I like the fact that they acknowledged, you know, Easy Rider and Peter Fonda, but yeah. Other than that, that's about it. That's um, that's not the coolest part. The the other fact that we all we find out is that he was glad he went on fire because he had an insurance policy apparently on the building. That's right, he had a right, he had an insurance policy on the place. Yeah, so he made a bunch of money. <laughs> yep. Yep, and then uh, Doug and Bobby's wives show up in Madrid because what happened is at one point um, Bobby's wife was over at Doug's house when they were talking on the phone and she found out the truth. They showed up in New Mexico to drag him back and, uh, you know, Doug's son is all like, oh, cool, you beat up bikers. I can relate to you now. And then Bobby's wife says, no, you're going home. And he says, no, I'm not. And that apparently solves the problem between them that's been brewing for over a year now. Yeah. yeah. Somehow in 24 hours, the wives managed to drive out to this town, which is like two to three days of riding away. Right. They were inspired. Or maybe maybe they maybe they flew and rented a minivan. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So they are they allow the wild hogs to keep going to California. They get to California, uh, so apparently, so that they can ogle women in bikinis on Venice Beach. And rollerblades. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, that part, like, whatever, you know, like, Fast and Furious movies do this all the time, but I'm like, you just reconciled with your wives, and you're going to drive down Venice Beach whistling at girls in bikinis. That seems yep. like a bad idea. Well, especially Bobby makes a point of being like, you have to give me space, and you have to, you know, like, respect me and treat me like a man and all this stuff, and then this is what happens in the next scene. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think it would have made more sense, right, to not be the scene right after. He was just like, oh, I love you, and you're my wife, and all this kind of stuff, to be him looking at these women. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like the scene, in the, the, the scene of them driving on Venice Beach by itself is not necessarily a, bad. It's just very dissonant compared to the, uh, <laughs> the family values piece that comes right before it. But it ends with family values. No, it ends with Dudley crashing into the quote unquote the movie no, ends we, with Dudley crashing, and we, then there's an end credits piece. That's right, we, which is about family values. Uh, is it? <laughs> it was an advertisement for Extreme Home Makeover, but yeah, yeah. basically, yeah, it's syner- synergy at its worst. But it's literally yeah. one of the best parts in the whole movie. So, <laughs> well, that's the thing; like the tone of that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. That's why it's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there, that, that sums up Wild Hogs, folks. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Dubai came with free beer for a year. Let's yeah, face they, it. Get, they rebuilt the bar with Extreme Home Makeover, and uh, yeah, they got free beer for a year. Um, but that kind of tells you what this movie is, right? Like most movies that are shooting for a little higher are not going to reference a contemporary TV show on their <laughs> com- parent company's network. Um, this movie is clearly not aiming for anything higher than. Uh, the opening weekend box office. Yes. True. Yeah, so that's that's wild hogs. Um, they are wild, and they are hogs. Indeed. Anything else you guys want to add before we, we make a rating on this? No. All right. Uh, so I have a feeling I know kind of where this is going, but I'm going to let Todd go first since he uh, this was his choice. I, I picked it. Yeah, this is like a man movie. It, it's got moments. It's got a lot of stuff in it. Like people who like to just watch something really quick and fast forward sometimes through the, through the downtime. You could probably watch this thing in under 40 minutes. I think that's fair to say. I mean, there's just a lot of filler in it and a lot of it unnecessary as we've indicated. Um, for me, yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, honestly, like, the acting's not terrible. Uh, the plot is terrible. The writing is terrible. I feel like it's like a 1.75. All right. Cheryl, what about you? I think Todd is giving this movie way too high. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie is a one. They made a movie. Yes. That's it. I can't Perfectly believe Todd says I saw this in the theater. I can't believe one I saw this in the theater and did not walk out. She made me to go to the movie theater to see it. I can't believe theater. that. So whatever my taste, I must have been high on a fever or something. And it took me eight years to get revenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rachel, what do you think? Um, I'm gonna give this one star as well. Um, yeah, I pretty much made my feelings about this movie known. I'd rather watch. I'd rather watch an episode of Scrubs. I'd rather watch basically anything else that William H Macy has done. Um, and I mean, okay, I've never really given much thought to John Travolta and all the rumors that have persisted over the years as far as him, but this movie kind of makes me consider them. I kind of get the feeling of he protests a little too much in this. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. Just one yeah. star. I really don't recommend it. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Todd in that this is a total guy movie. So I would actually give it a two because of the fact that like, for me, a one is not only bad, it's not entertaining at all. Um, this at least like, I never felt the urge to pick up the iPad or the phone or something like that, you know, and try to watch something else. Uh, which frequently happens with me uh, in some of the movies that we've watched in the past, uh, World's Greatest Athlete being an example. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't not entertained. I don't know if that's a phrase that you can use, but, uh, but it's just so off-color. And, and I can handle off-color if it's satirical. This is not that. This is just... It's just bad jokes. Uh, so, yeah, I would give it a two. Uh, it, it, it's fine. It's not something I need to see again. Um, but, you know, there you go. Uh, so that's our look at Wild Hogs. Not high praise, I would say, uh, to say the least. So, uh, again, the warning applies. If you guys, uh, you know, 
don't appreciate the off color humor and, and uh, you know, have young children. I, we definitely don't advise you watching it. But if you do, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, give us a call or, or drop us a note rather at uh, DisneyFilmProject.com. <laughs> don't give don't us call. a call. Give Disney yeah, Production <laughs> a call, please. Yeah, call Disney if you have a problem. Uh, email us DisneyFilmProject.gmail.com or you can find us, of course, on Facebook or Twitter um, and let us know what you guys think. Um, and if you're listening to the show on iTunes, we appreciate that or your podcast app, but uh, go over to iTunes and you can leave us a rating or a review. We appreciate that too. It helps people find the show. And then you can listen always on Stitcher or Diz Dad's radio as well. All right. So that's going to do it for this week's episode for Todd and Rachel and Cheryl. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you again soon. What's that letter hack going to pr- protect you from Snoopy, the Red Baron? Four counts of indecent exposure, two counts of lewd, lascivious behavior, and one count pure jealousy we love our bar thanks america hey i took my law enforcement course on the internet for arms training and they just told us to play doom